0: in the Dharma talks, and in the instructions, and the teachings that we've been giving you over the days now, are directing you towards uh, the simplicity of direct experience. It's the simplicity of being here now, and and the awakening of the heart that can happen when we are so uh, purely here, here now. But perhaps you know from your own practice of how difficult it is to be so simple. It's so difficult to just, com- just rest fully here in this direct experience that Julie was talking about the other night. Our practice encourages the simplicity of being and to know who we truly are by coming into this direct experience. But it's not easy. Why is it so difficult? Why is it difficult to be so simple in ourselves? It's because we inevitably encounter our thinking minds. We encounter our small, limited self that arises through the thinking and the patterns within our mind. And we believe that the mind is telling us who we are. And through this identification with the thinking mind and the patterns of the mind, it forms our identity, who we believe we are. And what happens is that our mind, our thinking mind, is never satisfied with what's occurring. That's the, that's the kind of the characteristic of the thinking mind. It's it's just, it's not satisfied. It, it operates within a duality of this and that, and right and wrong, and good and bad, and here and there, and it's moving. The mind is moving and always has the sense that it needs to move towards something, towards something that is better, or right, or good, that for some reason we're not experiencing now. And because the mind is never satisfied, we busy ourselves with improving ourselves. but we will never be able to improve ourselves enough to meet the standards of the mind because the one who is setting these standards is often called the judge or sometimes we call it the director or each of us have different names for this part of our psyche the the critic or the pusher or the driver or the overseer. You know, we all have our own uh, favorite way of naming this particular aspect of our psyche that, that pushes on us to have some other experience than the one that we're having. Isn't it interesting how... how uh, this operates, it seems like, when, we, when we're paying attention sometimes, all the time. It can seem like it's there all the time, even though it's not. The experience can be one of just being, being leaned on or pushed on or pushed into another experience than the one that's happening now. In the in psychological uh, tradition, uh, Freud called this the superego, the superego voice. That superego is the controller. It's the controller, it's the, the critical agent in our mind that tells us how we should be. It is the one that thinks it can determine our worth and our value. And therefore, it is called the guardian of the status quo of our behavior, of my behavior. But this, these standards are based on what it thinks is <coughs> the appropriate response. This is what Eugene was talking about last night, getting in touch with the appropriate spo- response. But it's difficult to actually be able to access the kind of appropriate response that Eugene was referring to because there's another agent that's very sure it knows what the appropriate response is. And if you're not actually acting out of that response, you're going to get clobbered in one way or another. And we feel that through the tension and the tightness, the contraction, the rigidity, the energies that start to move within us. It's painful. It's difficult. And we feel disconnected from ourselves. We feel disconnected from our being. We have a sense that we're not being real or authentic. Uh, somehow we're not really resting at home, and we feel the pain of that. We feel, I think, that in some ways it's the human predicament to be cut off from the truth of our being, that uh, beauty of our being, the jewel of our being, As we know it. We know that we're cut off. We know that we're disconnected, and that's so unpleasant to experience that. The superego will let me know when and if I'm acting appropriately and when I'm not, based on its standards of what is worthwhile. So how then can I access a deeper wisdom of what's truly appropriate or true? because the judge has no real interest in the truth. has no interest in the truth. It has its own worldview, <laughs> its own fabrication about how things are. And it gets so instilled in the fabric of who we take ourselves to be that we so easily can get lost in it, pulled in it, live in that world and not really know what's occurring, not know why we're feeling the pain or the disease or the the discomfort. Just something's wrong. Something feels off. And so we come to the spiritual practices, to the spiritual traditions, uh, to help us find the way, the way back. These standards of the, of the superego are based on whatever values have been instilled uh, on us in the past, our past conditioning. They're very old, very old aspects of our, of our psyche. If we were uh, taught that it was uh, appropriate to be loving, then when we find ourselves being uh, mean or unkind or feeling angry, that will feel wrong. You know, and we'll, we'll judge ourselves for that. We'll, we'll uh, try to find some way to have a different experience than, than to be angry. If we have a value of, of having to be rich or successful in our life and, and we're not, according to that standard, then, then we'll feel like a failure or that, again, something's wrong in our life. Finding, trying to find some way to repair that, to do it differently. Or values of being attractive. Our, our values of uh, of being polite, or uh, uh, we all have these different values that have been instilled on us. Values of what it means to be a good meditator, to have good meditation experiences. And who who is who is establishing establishing this measurement for us? Who is creating this standard for us? when we really take a look more carefully and more closely, is it something that's old? Or is it something that's fresh, that's immediate? Can we get a sense of that in our experience? If I listen and identify with this superego voice, rather than a deeper wisdom of my truth, I'm going to feel the impact of this voice, and that, imp- that impact will make me feel wrong. It will make me feel bad. It will even make me feel evil at times. And some of us, we might think that if we go very deep inside of ourselves, that that's what we're going to find, this really evil or, or dark, uh, awful person because the identity can get so wrapped up in that belief, and we attempt to try to cover it up so that we can't actually know it because it's too painful to know it, and we certainly don't want anybody else to know it, and so we can spend quite a lot of time being very busy trying to cover up what we really believe is the truth of who we are. This activity, This belief can uh, generate a lot of activity in the mind. Um, It can lead to wanting and improving, trying to change who we are, and not wanting what is, not wanting the experience that's occurring. Uh, It leads to justifying our behavior, and defending our behavior, and judging, and complaining, and comparing, and feeling sorry for ourselves, and feeling self-pity. do any of these feel sound familiar to you <laughs> in your practice? <laughs> Essentially, we're wishing for things to be different because it's too painful to accept the way things are because we believe it. We believe that we know the way things are or who, who I am or, or who you are. This is called the cycle of dukkha. This is dukkha, dukkha. Dukkha is the activity of suffering and confusion. And it's also another word for ego. Mm -hmm. So one way we use the word ego, or we use the word fixation, ego fixation, or ego habit, or confusion, or delusion. All these words or different words that we use to describe this activity where, where the mind gets caught in these beliefs, in a, the belief of a, um, a solid individual identity that I am, without a, a deeper understanding of what that truth really is. This dukkha is a, a fearful state of being. Or we might say that the heart, our heart, this beautiful heart that Eugene was talking about last night, the heart is filled with fear. It, it, is a, it's a, it wants to hide, hide from the truth because it's so identified with that truth. And the heart is disconnected from these beautiful qualities of true being in these moments, that this is that this fixation is activated in ourselves. So at these times, how can we know who we truly are when we're so controlled by our mind? How can we really know what true love is? How can we know how to love or know the feeling of metta for ourselves or for others when when this activity is going on? I know this so well from my own practice and my own experience that I can speak about it with a certain amount of authority. And I suppose, um, should I feel proud about that? (laughs) But I I consider myself an expert on this information. Um, I I remember my early days of doing my long uh, three-month retreats in the early, early 80s, I was very idealistic in my practice and had a lot of high expectations for how I should be and what my experiences should be like and what should be happening. And this obviously just activated my judge, the judging voice, because I couldn't do anything right. You know, nothing that occurred was, uh, hap- was supposed to be happening, so how could I really drop into direct experience unless I... Uh, As I practiced, I really started understanding more that the direct experience that was happening was the judgment and the agitation. And so it was possible to open more and more to the truth of that experience once I was able not to uh, try to deny it or pretend that it wasn't going on. The vision of the the Buddha Dharma was so beautiful in those early years in your first Uh, coming to the practice and and hearing these beautiful teachings and uh, the possibility for us on the spiritual path. And my heart just longed for what was possible uh, as a human being. But then I would look at myself and look at where I was, and the gap just seemed so huge that, that what filled that gap was just tremendous judgment and the inability to accept what I was able to see in uh, it, what I was seeing in my experience. My heart longed for that freedom, but I was so impatient. I wanted it now. And I wanted it to happen now. And, and it's interesting how we get into that mind state, where somehow it's not, where we were not able to make room for the process to unfold in the intelligent way that it does. But somehow the ego mind can have the sense, well, I know what's supposed to be happening, and it's not happening according to my plan. It's not happening according to my agenda, so something must be wrong. And sometimes it takes a little time before we actually have the insight that it's just the small mind that somehow is dictating, trying to control the situation. And there is a very intelligent magical process unfolding at every moment. And so easy to lose touch with that. I remember one retreat that I, in those early days, I had so much agitation in my body and there were a number of my friends on the retreat. I was hating my friends. So much hate that would come up. I didn't know where all this hate was coming from. I even went to a teacher because I was so surprised. And I said, I just hate all my friends. I don't, why is this happening? And at that time, there wasn't, uh, for some reason, we didn't come to any insight around that. I was sort of left with just this, this horrible agitation and aversion and hatred that was filling me at that time. But there were also sublime, insightful moments that were happening. But because the judge was so strong, it was very hard to accept what I saw in myself because I wanted the sublime. I wanted those beautiful moments, those sublime moments in my experience. And the gap, just kept experiencing that gap. So I was instructed to note it and to be with it until over time, you know, just working with it and working with it and working with it, And over time, more and more, I was able to see the impersonal nature of that arising, that it wasn't so personal, that it was the conditioned patterns of mind that were playing out in my consciousness, and that there was some other aspect of my being that I could touch and I could rest into a spacious, open, loving aspect of my being that I could draw on and call on, that I wasn't only what my mind was revealing to me. For many of us, we have this deep down belief in our own uh, unworthiness, unworthiness as human beings. It just feels so risky to let go, to really let go and open up. What would be there if I let go? What am I really going to find if I really let go? And we have a lot of fear about this. Many of us have a lot of fear. And times when we can, we'll sit and we'll start to open and relax, and the fear will come, like, oh no, like, what's going to happen? As I start to let go. In a way, we are afraid of ourself. We're afraid of our own mind, afraid of, of what's going to, what we're going to find there. Sokni Rinpoche, one of my teachers, actually started making this truth a little bit more apparent to me when he said to us in one of the teachings, he said, cease to be afraid of yourself. Cease to be afraid of yourself. And when he said that, it was kind of a reminder that you mean it's not out there? (laughs) It's like usually I think that what I'm afraid of is out there, you know, and the the world and people and the environment and and the threat seems to be coming this way. But I wonder if it's actually true. Somehow maybe we're just afraid of our own mind. There's a simile, um, I guess a simile or little story, teaching story that one of my favorite teaching stories of, I'm sure that many of you have heard of, of painting tigers on the wall. And it's the story of this, in an ancient times, an a, 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 um, aboriginal goes into a cave and he's making this wonderful painting of this tiger on the cave wall. And he, he's a wonderful artist and it, the, the, the tiger painting becomes more detailed and and more real. And just as he's getting done with the painting, he stands back to look at it and he goes, Oh my God, a tiger! And he runs out of the cave. And I love that story so much because it is the same thing we're doing with our own mind, with our own consciousness. As we paint tigers, We paint tigers on the, on the walls of our consciousness, and we get frightened. And it becomes rather unbearable a lot of the time, because it all becomes so real and so believable. Being afraid of myself, I'll constantly try to improve myself, try to find ways to get rid of the parts that are unacceptable and I'll build myself up to meet the standards of my mind and break down anything that gets in my way. It's staying very busy with this activity. It's very, very exhausting, very tiring activity. And usually this pattern is so familiar that we can't see it. It really is hidden, and I find for myself the more work I do with this and, it, and this work is coming back, it seems that it's, uh, uh, I'm reminded again and again by different teachers and different teachings to pay attention to this agency, this critical negative agency of mind. It is so uh, insidious. It takes on so many different forms. It can sneak in in so many different ways that we really need to pay attention to how it's taking shape. On intensive retreat, particularly if you've been sitting for a while, it can seem as though this judge has quieted down. Maybe for people who have been here for a while, not so sure. I don't know so much about the people who have been here except the ones I've been seeing. But I would say that it still needs to be watched. There still needs to be some attention that is present for the manifestation of this controlling agency. And it may not even take the form of a critical or a negative or that kind of... um, Uh, a harsh kind of voice, but it may be taking a different form of just trying to manipulate experience in some way because it thinks it knows what's right or what's best for your practice. It might be helpful to watch for ways that expectations are forming uh, in your mind, the ways that you believe that you should be here or the ways that you think that your practice should be Uh, uh, what the ways your practice should look like, the kinds of experiences that you think you should be having at any given time in the day, when you're not having the kinds of experiences that you want to be having. And based on these kinds of expectations in your practice, you might then... Uh, if you think that you're supposed to have certain kind of experiences, then you might suppress other kinds of emotions or experiences, like if you start to feel irritable or you start feeling angry. That may not fit your picture or your idea of what your practice should look like, and there might be a subtle way that you begin to suppress that or, or kind of keep it aside or, or cut it off very quickly or be a little bit harsh with yourself, like anger, anger, you know, and kind of try to push it aside as if it's not really happening. Rather than really making the space for it to allow whatever emotions or feelings or kind of experiences are moving through, making space for it, allowing it. Or even if you have some value about sadness or, or grief that that shouldn't be in your practice, maybe there's some way that you're not really allowing that to come through. Sometimes when we have thoughts about other people in our past or, or people here on the retreat, we maybe have some judgment or some criticism of somebody here, we might then feel a little guilty and feel bad about ourselves. Like, why am I thinking that or why am I making judgments? And then the guilt will start to build and we'll feel tense about it. And we need to, to know that to see, too, is there a way that you're you're pushing that aside or you're not really wanting to to feel it or to know what's occurring in your experience. Another manifestation of the superego is the evaluating mind. Or what's also called the self-referencing mind. The mind that says, how am I doing? The how am I doing mind? The mind that wants to know, right? And why does it want to know? So it can measure you in some way. (laughs) You can place yourself somewhere on a scale, you know, see how you're doing. But I think that you need to be very careful with the evaluating mind. Because it's very hard to know whether that question, how am I doing, is arising out of wisdom a clear seeing or a clear connection with oneself, or whether it's just more proliferation of an ego pattern of mind, of, of putting ourselves down or wanting to build ourselves up. Early on in my practice, one of my teachers told me that, she said to me, you cannot evaluate your practice. You cannot evaluate your practice. So it's best just to really watch the arising of that thought and let it go. See it as a thought, just a thought, and let it go. How am I doing? Thinking, letting it go. Mm -hmm. If you think you're doing well, notice the thought, (laughs) notice the pleasant feeling, and then notice what happens next. Not getting caught in it, not getting identified with it, just seeing it as part of the passing show if you think you're not doing well, notice that as a thought. Notice the unpleasant feeling that arises around that. See what happens next. Not get caught up in it, not get identified with it. Let it go. Something has to break up this identification, this pattern of identification, the way that we get caught in these core patterns of mind. So we draw on our mindfulness to pay attention so that we can know, we can see, we can understand what's happening in the mind, what's happening in the body, what's happening in the feelings, in the emotions. We want to come into a deep place of self-understanding, not just emptiness, not just clearing out, not just being a, like a, vo- a, a walking void. It's just it's to, 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 to let the thoughts and the feelings and the sensations, to so let them arise. To see what we can learn, what we can understand, what we can discover in the process and how as it unfolds, with all of its intelligence, with all of its beauty. We draw on our practice of kindness. We've been emphasizing that a lot on this retreat. Practices of, of, of metta and loving-kindness, compassion, gentleness, patience. Forgiveness, All of those qualities, those, uh, those beautiful qualities of mind that can help to give support for this exploration as we open to ourselves and uh, the difficult aspects of ourselves as well as the, the joyful and the, the beautiful aspects of ourselves. Joko Beck, um, one of the uh, z- z- uh, American Zen uh, teachers, said, To live a life without judgment is what a realized life is like. To live a life without judgment is what a realized life is like. So the first thing we do is we recognize as much as we can with our mindfulness. We recognize when these patterns are playing up, when they are activated. And one way that we can recognize when the judgment is present is by paying attention to the way we notice changes in both the emotional and the somatic states of being. When we start to feel uh, bad about ourselves, when we start to feel um, like we're doing something wrong or we've lost it or we feel like a failure or we're, we fall into, the states can intensify, we fall into states of despair or hopelessness or uh, the, as the cycle can go on like that, we can pretty much be sure that there's some judge activated here. There's some super ego voice activated that is trying to dictate, trying to manipulate, trying to control our experience in some way and it can be very helpful when we notice that to take a moment and actually ask ourselves what am i telling myself right now what's we can we can direct the attention to the pattern of mind the pattern of thought and say what is being activated right now what is that voice to see if we can get some sense of, of the way that that judge or that controller or whatever name you have for it, the dictator or the pusher or the driver, how is that taking form in that moment? Because there will be an impact. There will be an emotional or uh, somatic impact where we will start to um, collapse in some way. The the strength um, The strength of our being, the 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 integrity of our being will be zapped in some way by that. Um, my, one of my, my gurus in India called the thief. The thief who has just entered the house, who is stealing away the jewels, mm-hmm. and we have let him in the house or her in the house, whatever gender it is. Mm-hmm. And as the thief comes in, we feel that deflation. We feel the loss of something very precious, something very beautiful in ourselves. It's like letting the air out of the balloon, and the balloon starts to deflate. And we can feel that. It's like we feel ourselves starting to collapse. And the story will take on many, many different forms for different people, depending on your own character type. I'm wrong. I'm bad. I should be doing it differently, it's not good enough. Um, all different kinds of flavors and forms. What is yours, if it's still activated? Maybe you're free of it now. Many blessings on you, if you are. <laughs> this recognition needs to, ha- to, it needs to happen with our self-reflective consciousness, with the consciousness that is able to witness and observe what's going on without being caught or engaged in the pattern itself. That consciousness that can know, that can see, with, we say sometimes, detached awareness, that witnesses. THAT SEES WITHOUT THE JUDGMENT. IT'S the, it's THE AWARENESS WITHOUT THE JUDGMENT. IT'S THE PURE AWARENESS THAT CAN KNOW, THAT CAN SEE, CAN BE IN CONTACT WITH EXPERIENCE WITHOUT ADDING MORE ON TOP OF IT, BUT SEES IT FOR WHAT IT IS. THE DETACHED, THE OPEN, THE PURE CONSCIOUSNESS THAT IS NOT IDENTIFIED WITH THE SMALL, NARROW VIEW OF SELF but consciousness that is boundless, that is expansive, that is spacious, that we bring to the experience with mindfulness, with compassionate awareness. And from here we can inquire, from here we can inquire, what does it feel like to be impacted by the judge? What is the effect? What is the effect in my body? What is the effect in my emotions? What's happening in my mind? We can get to know the whole pattern. We can get to understand it. And as we understand it, we can begin to be freed of it. Because when it's not seen, when the patterns stay hidden in consciousness, then we keep acting out of the patterns. And as we keep acting out of the patterns, we keep reinforcing the patterns. And as we reinforce the patterns, they become more solidified. And as they become more solidified, that's the identity that that takes shape, and that's who we believe we are. As we unravel that, we unravel that knot, we unravel that knot with the spacious awareness, with the mindfulness, with the compassionate awareness, we start to have insight. We start to have wisdom, bring wisdom to what we see, what we know, what we experience. It isn't just the small pattern that's being, that is playing out anymore, but rather it's, it's um, imbued, the experience is in, imbued with consciousness. It's imbued with wisdom. It's not so solid it becomes, the experience becomes lighter, becomes more spacious. And as the experience becomes more spacious, we become wider. (laughs) We become expanded. We become bigger. As we become bigger, we become more connected with all things. All things. We start to touch the space where there's no separation, where there's no boundaries, where there's no division we start to feel into that aspect of who we are. We start to know more fully, ah, that, that feels more like home. That feels more like truth. That feels more like wisdom. And with that comes the feelings, the, s- the emotional and the somatic feelings of, of joy, and contentment, and, and the satisfaction, um, ease, the ease of well-being. Because the pattern, the difficult patterns of mind, the patterns of mind that we took to be ourself are not the only thing that's <laughs> dropping into the moment, like a, a solid boulder or, or a rock. Uh, but it starts breaking up. Things start breaking up. We break up. We start breaking up. We don't feel as solid. The space comes in. Lightness. Air. We can breathe. (laughs) Interesting that the breath is the air element because as we start to breathe more, we feel the space. We feel the air. We feel the lightness. The same thing that comes through the breath. Breathing. Ah, Live again. And we go in and out, you know, through the day. We feel different rhythms of this. Sometimes we're a little bit more solidified. Sometimes we feel lighter and more spacious. Mm. We change. Things change and shift. And there's uh, many, many different experiences as we go through the day. And more and more, as we deepen into our practice, we can uh, open to this rhythm and allow these changes to happen. Knowing that sometimes we'll be a little bit more contracted, sometimes we'll feel more open and spacious. Sometimes we'll feel more dense and solidified and hard, and it'll feel unpleasant, and maybe that'll trigger some of the uh, superego and the judge and the feelings of some despair, and I can't do it, and I, and I want to give up, and why am I even here, and I think it's time to leave, And but perhaps because we're bringing the self-reflective consciousness, we're bringing the awareness to the situation, maybe we'll see it in a different way. So that the awareness may be the more predominant experience, and the judge may then be able to take a little bit more of a back seat. Not the one that is guiding the experience, not the one that's dictating the experience, but rather, we fall back into the wisdom aspect. We fall back into the consciousness itself. And that starts to inform our experience more and more. That becomes more of what we know to be true. As we learn to trust it, as we learn to know it, as we become familiar with that territory of our being. So much of what we're doing here is learning how to become familiar with beingness. And it brings me back to the beginning, how to become familiar with that simplicity of our being just one moment where we are able to bring mindfulness to what's happening, and that mindfulness, with with the mindfulness, comes a spacious view, where in that moment what we see is maybe a rising of a thought and the passing of a thought, the rising of a feeling, the passing of a feeling within the space of awareness, within the space of consciousness. Then the solidity breaks up. That's what our practice is pointing to. Then what do we find there? That's not the end, by the way. (laughs) Sometimes we can think that, oh, right, then, then I'm done. You know, that's the end of my practice. That's the goal of the practice is to get to that very spacious, kind of open, mindful way, place where we can, you know, be there for a while to really uh, engage in our experience from that place. But the truth is, in some ways it's the beginning. <laughs> it's the beginning of our practice. Because once we arrive in the place of awareness, in the place of mindfulness, then we can start to pay attention. (laughs) We can really start to know what's going on in a more continuous way. And as we pay attention, there's more to be learned and more to be discovered. The path opens before us and it becomes richer more interesting. We know this. You know this from your experience. Mm-hmm. Things really start to happen. It's like, then things get interesting, right? Mm. I had a whole nother talk I was going to give you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm feeling like I might want to keep it simple tonight. Um, And I'll talk about some of the other things I was going to talk about in another talk. Um, So I might end. And I'd like to end the talk with a poem, one of my favorite poems, uh, by Derek Walcott, called Love After Love. And I think it's a poem that many of you heard. And I think, for me, it's a transmission poem. And, and each time I hear it, I hear something different. I sort of drop into the poem more and more because it's reflecting something back to me that I want to hear, that I want to know, that I want to be in touch with in myself. So it's called Love After Love. The time will come when with elation, you will greet yourself, arriving at your own door, in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself, give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life, whom you have ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Greet yourself arriving at your own door. Sit here. Eat. Feast on your life. That's what we're doing. Celebrate if you can. And if you can't, that's okay too. (laughs) Let's sit together for a minute. May all beings awaken their compassionate heart and arrive in a place of wisdom. Thank you.